0: Greetings ladies and mental gents and welcome to this patch video for the web novel First Contact written by Roltz Bloodthorn Which is available on both Royal Road and HFY The links for them will be down below And as always I hope that you enjoy and if you do please consider supporting the channel First Contact Second Wave Chapter 92 Dreams Dream sat in her great unified council toward the back, behind even some of the neo-sapient races, which were only allowed to watch the betters go through the motions of ruling their known universe. She howled perfectly still, as unmoving as a statue, feeling her implosion-wire tingle as she let her psychic senses spread out over the gathered beings. So many of them were a mere emptiness, the hammer seat was empty. Someone had carved Remember Sandy into the hollow table with a ritual knife that they then stuck almost to the hilt into the table. The maintenance teams had left it in place. The Tulkin seat was empty. They had simply not shown up. Dreams could feel the cracks in the unified species already. The Lannachtalan speaking while wearing his sash... Third Most High of the Council had a mental voice that would best be described as To dreams, that means dreams. Squint at the speaker. She queried her data link and compared the current Anakterlan to the one that had spoken only a day prior. Their voice patterns were close, but the secondary and ternary vocal ranges were different. They were slight differences in size and patterns, and the one speaking tendrils were millimeters shorter. Additionally, the previous day's third highmost leaned back on their left hind hoof when speaking, where this one leaned forward on the right forehoof. Dreams reached out with the psychic senses and touched 117 and told him to rush the most speed to her side to bring a single object to attune it to a specific output. She touched fights and asked her to bring over her overwatchers as well as the medical equipment and to contact Wings of Mercy to send a medical evac dropship to the parking lot of the council building. She had a bad feeling. The third high most kept speaking about how the loss of systems by major corporations due to the Terran Confederacy's insistence that the systems attacked by precursors remain under Terran martial law had resulted in almost a hundredth of a percent loss of a percent of the taxes paid by the corporations. He was presenting numbers and charts via faint, flickering holograms that the Unified Council seemed to prefer. Out of curiosity, she bring the prior year's taxes and publicly declared profits and losses for the affected corporations and then compared it to the current publicly declared profits, losses, and taxes true, many corporations had gone bankrupt due to the lawsuits, emancipations, and the malign glee of the ABI's of the unified judicial system in ruling exactly as the laws had read instead of the spirit of the law, which seemed to be the land people are always right and always get what they want, which had turned out badly for the land corporations. However, dreams could see that the profits for some corporations were up across the Terran sectors as wages increased, increasing native species buying power due to the Terran Confederacy policy of buy local that the system commanders followed. In other words, what he was saying wasn't true, but the facts he was presenting painted the picture that it was an old political trick. The words kept flowing, repeating the same thing over and over, just slightly different wording, some of the words requiring a moment's thought to get the context, thus hammering in the Lanak land's point further. Tax is good, tax is low because Terran's, Terran's bad. 117 hurried up, his Moslax longtering in behind him, moving to sit next to Dream's chair. The Moslack took up the position that he could crush 117 with his ancient weapon should 117 attempt to seize control of the technology to use it to wipe out the entire council chamber. Not that 117 was considering it. For more than a moment or two, dreams nudged 117 to keep silent watched, and that something was going on. Fights nudged her psychically that they are in the antechamber just outside the council chamber. The third highmost pole, sliding one finger down the side of a data bed to get to the next section, when dreams faltered—a scream, a scream of absolute terror—that dwindled slightly, not voiced out loud but perceptible to dreams. Regardless, the feel of someone fighting, struggling desperately to no avail as they were dragged down into a prison that they were locked into, able to see out of it, able to hear out of it, able to feel what went on inside the prison. The Vakunara stood up, holding a device over her head as the voice only dreams could hear screamed even louder. Death to that She got out. 117 felt the device as the Vakunara, a fair-skinned biped covered with a pale, downy fuzz, began to stand up. His psionic ability strained and honed to a fine edge. Immediately he smelled out a detonator being grasped by the Vakunara's fingered hand. Good... Feel the wiring, could taste the blasting caps, could hear the singing of the implosion charges covering the Vaknaraz waist and belt of the destruction. There were eight charges practically angled and bolted to direct their power straight at Dream's seat. Before she was standing, she, all the way up, 117 reacted with his Terran marine training, reaching into the unshielded electronics of a data datalink, jumping to the explosive suicide pulse electronics, stilling them, disconnecting them. He felt an odd code surging and twisting in her implant, preventing her from screaming, and shut down the implant for good measure, even as he slapped the device dreams had ordered him to bring onto the floor and triggered it. In a split second before the device went off, the Vagnera was still standing up. Dreams reacted instinctively to the threat. She started to lash out and burn away the Vagnera's mind, but Dreams could still hear the waning scream of protest from deep inside the Vagnera's mind. Instead, she only paralyzed the Vagnera, stunning its motor cortex and interrupting its autonomous systems for long enough to cause her to black out. The personal protective screen spun up instantly, creating a dome of pure energy that looked like an interlocked hexagons. At the same time, as two more voices began screaming for help in Dreams' senses, as the Tanavaru and the Sevenchan both stood up and leveled Needle Pistols at Dreams. 117 reached out with his datalink, jumped the two would-be assassins, and then, at their weapons, he simply turned the weapons off. The two would be assassins screamed, Death to the Lanark lands! as they pulled the dead triggers, pointing their weapons at Dreams, who lifted a blade arm to rest on her chin, even as she reached out with her senses and knocked both out. Both warborgs were already moving, stepping forward, their eyes flashing to green and then amber, and then finally red as weapons deployed from their back. Heavy duty APERS shells loaded up in their cannons and their defensive systems came online. Remain seated, the two warborgs shouted. Everyone who had started to jump up collapsed back into their seats. Silence! They followed it up. Mouths closed, screams of fear were swallowed. Everyone sat silently, staring at what they had just reminded were massive combat cyborgs, swallowing any words that they had. Dreams almost started giggling at the realization that for the first time in who knows how long a bunch of politicians sat with their mouths closed. She transmitted data to fights on what races had just tried to kill her. Medical personnel started rushing in, heading to Dreams' seat and then stopped, their mouths working. Two dropped their cut to the floor. Do not move. This area is under martial lockdown, the war shouted. Three of the medical personnel ran, then one fainted. Before the door could close, the russet-coloured mantid rushed in, followed by her two escorts. She had three hover cradles, then her loaded up with medical profiles of the three beings and their races. She rushed over while everyone stared, pointing out the three beings. Security forces, Lanik Delan, rushed into the council chamber and found themselves staring at the guns of two booborgs with crimson eyes. Dreams felt sees, tell her psychically that someone had intended on entering her chambers with the intent of doing some harm, so she had gone out to stand by the planters and steps that had led down to the parking lot and had taken Speaks with her. She and already had a ceramic tree in Dreams's quarters carried out and Mr. Rings was hiding in the watery bowler. She, Mr. Rings and Speaks were watching the medevac shuttle landing in the parking lot on the hot drop. The lands looked to see Dream sitting smugly inside the dome-interlocked hexagons and reached for their weapons. 117 jumped from his implants to theirs, decrypting the pathetically weak armor codes, jumping to the computers that ran the armor, shut off their armor and weapons, then turned off the atmosphere with almost a malicious glee. He then overloaded their implants, burning them, and then turned them off. He could see the sixth Lanik start to panic through the clear armor plates of their visors and flashed a half dozen icons that translated into, ha ha, you suck. Weitz was having each would-be assassin loaded up into med cradles, putting them into stasis so deep that all cellular activity was ceased. She signaled to Dreams that she had them. Dreams had just finished ordering the forces at the spaceport to recall the shuttle and lift off. 117 sent commands to the electronics in the diplomatic quarters to reboot, wipe, and leave behind the malevolent BI slicer boys in the memory, hiding under the supposed diplomatic notes. The lawyers, Johnson, Jackson, and Johnston, were not worried. If something happened to them, their law firms would sue the entire council until they had to use handfuls of dirt to pay off their debts. They and their assistants moved slowly and confidently towards the limo that would take them to the spaceport, filing lawsuits and legal briefings as they went. Almost every being fled from the grey-skinned bipeds as they slowly moved to their limo. At the spaceport, a Talkin male, a ticket home in his hand, ran up and hugged one of the lawyers before racing off to board his flight home with his wife and brood carriers. The lawyers felt a tingle of malicious pleasure at how much the Talcans' happiness hurt the Lanictalans watching from hiding. Dreams watched White's sleeves with patience and motioned 117 with the blade arm. She was not resting on her chin. 117 turned off the protective barrier. His eyes on the Lanictalans' security guards, who were gasping, foaming at of jowls, even at the others trying to get their armor off. "'Well, now, this is exciting,' Dreams said slowly. She motioned and the warbox moved back up behind her, their eyes going to amber. I wonder who'd want to kill little old me. She lifted up the chrome domicile chain and swung it slowly back and forth. She held the flick knife and pressed the chrome stud. The blade swung out and locked into place with an audible click, the steel blade gleaming softly in the lights of the chamber. Should I assume, third and most high, that negotiations between the Confederacy and its august body have broken down and you wish the diplomats of the Terran Confederacy to leave the planet? Dreams asked, rubbing one blade arm along the side of her face. The Lannictal Talan gave to her, mouth opening and closing silently. Oh, wait... You're not the third highmost. You're a double, a stand-in, that was sent here to get blown up and create an artificial justification for attacking Terra, Dream said, her voice still thick with amusement. The third highmost just escaped while the others slowly turned around to face Dream's looks of shock on their faces. Did you really think that my people, much less the Terrans, would not be prepared for combative diplomacy? Dreams laughed. You were willing to kill everyone in the chamber to try and pin the blame on my people. Try D cameras, which had been the entire thing happen, swooped in to get the better look, unaware of 117 examining every bit of this circuitry. Dreams knew the entire planet and beyond was watching. To quote my fellow diplomat, speaks with words we fear. You do not know with whom you are fricking with, Dreams said, her voice suddenly serious as the chain stopped swinging. We are the Terran Confederacy of Allied Systems. We have known defeat, but we have never been beaten. This is not a war you wanted, nor is it a war we have sought. Dream said softly, My people once thought the Terran's easy prey. We struck as we always did, in the theory of eliminate the Queen and the High Falls, by striking their home planet, by glassing large portions of it. Dreams paused for a moment, swinging her chain again, and we paid dearly for it, as you shall pay dearly if you pursue this war you think you want. She paused, suddenly going still. She was still in a long time and some council members began murmuring to one another when she shuddered several times, "'Woe unto you in the name of warmth of love!' Dream suddenly shrieked. She made a sharp motion and 117 jumped on her back. She scurried towards the door where the rest of her security detail was waiting. 117 jumped from her to one of the Warborgs, double-checking the status of all his war-gear. Satisfied, he jumped to the back of the second one, sliding his cybernetic blade arms into the slots built for such. The Warborgs moved, one in front, one in the back, their weapons tracking everyone in the room who had so much as twitched. Perverse ones! 117 flashed over a hundred icons in a few seconds. What you have done is obscene, and the Terran Confederacy shall bring such wrath that even in hell, your suffering shall be legendary. Dreams shrieked out as she approached the door. 117 touched the door panel and shorted out the entire building's computer network, packed up the toilets, programmed the hollow emitters to display the Terran mail wreathed in fire, reset all the clocks, and bricked the food dispensers. Dreams paused for a moment at the door, looking at the lands inside. She pointed one blade arm at the dead Lannachtelan in security armor. Yees are just the first. Terror goes to war. Not against the precursors, but against the obscenity you have unleashed upon the Dalgons and undoubtedly mean to unleash on 29 other worlds. Dreams snarled. For this, when we have proof, we shall land the mechanics of the twenty-nine palms upon your homeworld in fire and fury. A curse upon thee for the vile obscenity you have revealed yourselves to be masters of. I curse thee, vile ones. The door closed behind Dreams, and the council chamber erupted into yelling and accusations. Dreams sat on a comfortable seat, petting Mr. Rings as she watched the planet recede. This is going to be mad, I just know, Speaks said softly. That's why we're going to the homeworlds of each of the would-be assassins, Dreams said, her voice quiet as she gently was petting Mr. Rings, whose color was bright blue around his eyes and his tentacles. I don't understand that part, Speaks asked, rubbing the blade arms together. They did something to those three, some kind of suppression, and I have a feeling that it isn't only the thing that they've done to them, Dreams answered. She shuddered with the memory of how the Gestalt had screamed and raved. Are you okay? Speaks nodded slowly. Yeah, you, you were raving at them. I think you even tried to lay a curse on them where at the end. Dreams held up her blade arms in a sign of yes and no and sighed. It took everything I had to not just start killing every Lannachtelan I saw. There is no proof that they're the ones who did it. Just circumstantial evidence, and I don't want to commit a confederacy to the war that's circumstantial proof. This rage is easing up. How is C's? Speak asked. Resting, she's trained to handle such things. Fights was touched and go for a while. Her implosion almost went off when she started computing what she'd need for a bioweapon. That would wipe out the entirety of the Lanark lands. But you got it under control, Dreams told the Black Manted. 117 was going to detonate the space fault's fusion reactor, but it got his instincts under control. This is going to be really bad. I mean it, Speaks repeated. Dreams looked over to him. Are you a seer now? Your chitin is a bit dark for prophecy. Speaks rubbed his blade arms together again. Terra hasn't been challenged, hasn't been actually threatened, truly, in a couple thousand years, yet they still worry that something's going to jump out and stab them in the back. There's been a couple wars, hell, there's been one or two major ones, but they don't realize how hilariously outclassed most of their opponents really are. Speaks said slowly, These Islamic lands, the unified civilized species group, they're going to do something stupid. We're talking as stupid as when we glass Terra... I just know it dreams didn't scoff. she just waited patiently how do you know because the lannick lands haven't been challenged in a hundred million years every species they have met they've dominated and docile and domesticated before the other species even knew that they were in danger success for that long for that many million years that breeds arrogance and the feeling that they can never be beaten hell When you get right down to it, we didn't beat them. A species, a civilization like that. They don't think anything can threaten them. Dreams shivered. You think they'll end up 1%? Speaks shook his head. No, I think they'll end up Xenocided. There's trillions of them. Nearly a hundred trillion, Dreams said. And the Confederacy has enough bullets for them all, Speaks answered. Mark my words, the words I speak, you fear to hear. The land will put a muzzle of a gun into their own mouth while strangling a human child and think that the Terrans don't have the will to pull the trigger. In the odd hive worlds, are you okay now, sis? You would touch and go there for a moment. manted free worlds, yeah, remind me to thank Terrasol for stepping in. That was a serious feedback loop. Nothing follows cybernetic organism collective what could even cause that we cannot deduce what may have even caused such an event Manted free worlds i have no idea it was like if a human suddenly sprouted over queen antenna and locked into the psychic wave and started hammering with his terran rage nothing follows clone worlds directorate there hasn't been a psychic terran well, not one that could do much more than empathy since the Great Glassing. They are all probably mixed with the steeping ones now. If there's anyone who survived, it's pretty much gone from the genome and nobody has really been interested in adding it back in. There's almost a revulsion to it. It couldn't have been a psychic Terran. Nothing follows. Manted free worlds. I know. That's what I can't figure out. Maybe a Gestalt glitch. Nothing follows. "'Digital, artificial, sentient systems?' "'No way,' I checked. "'They came from your people, hit you, looped back into them, and started increasing in strength. "'The signal in the middle that wasn't Mantid, that was Terran. "'I checked the records. I've got nothing like it.' "'Well, not quite. "'There were signals like that back during the fall of the Imperium of Rage, "'when the Howl space ripped open, but nothing matching the signal "'and nothing that ever affected the Mantids. "'Nothing follows.' Mantid Free Worlds. We don't really know what went on in the Hull Space Rift. Most of the records were lost by the collapse of the Imperium of Rage. I know there was some serious fighting out that way, but then it ended up full of idiots and we don't know what happened. Nothing follows. Biological Artificial Sentient Systems. Sis, what would happen if the Terrans got onto the psychic wavelength of the Mantids? Aren't most Terran's descent humans a snarling ball of rage and violence to your senses? Nothing follows. Mantid free worlds. We'd feel it, but it would be alien. We could block it out. This couldn't have been a Terran. It was an overqueen of some type, but they're extinct. Nothing follows. Falcon Gestalt. To our warning, proceed to shelters. To our warning, proceed to shelters. To our warning, proceed to shelters. Guys, I'm afraid. Shh, Sh Shh, brood mummy. Hold brood mommy. Sing. Shh, Bartlings safe. Partlings warm. Nothing follows. Manted pre worlds. We'll be right there, dear one. Reinforcements are on the way. Come here, and I'll hug you. Nothing follows. Treanaard hive worlds. You know, there was an Omni Queen signal last year. Maybe there's something to do with it. Nothing follows manted free worlds. I hope not. Nothing follows. End of chapter First contact, second wave, chapter 93 626 enjoyed his work. Before the Terrans had freed his cast from the tyranny of the Queens, he would have been locked inside his own mind, screaming as he performed the menial maintenance tasks at the direction of others and with another skill rather than his own. six to six could imagine no worse fate. He closed any tiny access hatch at the back of the mechanic, and jumped out into the wall, reoriented himself, and jumped onto the back of the next mechanic, a vestigial wing fluttering to give him a little aerodynamic boost. The one he had just finished working on, Gunnery Sergeant Hunterston jerked slightly as his brain finished sinking up with a war-gear-loaded body. Hunterson flashed 66 an icon of appreciation, even as the little green mantid opened up the small panel. His next job, Sergeant Stoner, was waiting for his war-gear to be checked out. He was having problems with his left side being tingly and his weapons losing sync. Sixty-six ran the standard diagnostics, saw nothing wrong, ran deep diagnostics, saw nothing wrong, then remembered his lessons in percussive maintenance and ran a physical check on the most problematic piece of hardware. The brain case was 0.21 millimeters from full seating on the left-hand side. 626 held on with his grasping hands and jumped on it, activating the graviton focuses on his little boots, and slammed onto the brain case with 22.32 kilograms of pulse. "'Hey!' the mechanic yelled. "'Oh, no mind. Thanks, sixty-six. Getting green lights all across the board, having the ancient war count of triumph of steel, 626 slapped the hatch shut, locked it, and jumped on the wall and then to the next customer.' A lance corporal whose primary cannon array wasn't deploying correctly. Still, humming to himself, 626 kept working. Landfall was in an estimated five hours, and he had many human warborgs to run diagnostics on. Whispers in the silent spaces flew on the back of a butterfly, watching the waving flowers around her as the butterfly moved from one space to another. Here, the landscape was littered with dead warborgs being torn apart with biomechanical creatures. There, the world was barren, removed to rock, and the atmosphere siphoned away. Great creatures slowly moving away from the planet. Over there was a system full of debris. Ships, biological remnants, shattered warborgs, crushed creatures, smashed warmechs. Whispers looked about. There! damaged and broken war box but brood carriers basking in the sunshine holding potlings she tilted her butterfly moving closer to that outcome in defeat could lie in the seeds of victory the three military intelligence officers watched the iridescent vantages shudder and quiver as her psychic senses reached out to try and define the future of an entire planet It might be of use, it might be difficult to understand, but the seers were never wrong. That made them a weapon. And Terra never passed up the chance to grab any weapon that might bring victory to a fight. The transport slammed down, sides slamming down, and the armoured vehicles roaring out amongst the debris of the precursor war that had ended only a year ago. APCs full of armoured troops that immediately swarmed to the concealed and prestigated fighting positions. Heavy weapons were dragged out, armoured troop carrier boxes of ammunition, positive pressure systems were put in place, medical stations were activated deep in the hand-stripped hulls of the precursor machines. Vuxton climbed up from the side of a precursor machine that had been gutted by close-range plasma cannon blasts. His squad followed him. He had a 20mm Magak heavy machine gun magnetically attached to the back of his armor, but the strength assist in the armor made it so that the weight was noticeably but easily worked through. When he got to the top, and he looked around. There was a shadow of the crater in the armor by the edge. He made two quick chopping motions as he highlighted the crater and marked it with his armor's visor. He dropped the 20 millimeter magak and ordered the squad leader to set up right here, and jogged over to the crater in the center. The squad leader from the second squad had already started to deploy the stealth shielding and setting up at the point defense squad gun. ''Vuxton, do you read?'' The icon said that it was Lieutenant Archibald Tick-Tick-Tick Jones. ''Vuxton, yes sir?'' He replied, flashing an icon as his two squads to let him know that he was on the radio. I'm sending you three air defense vehicles. That's your AO. So put them in places that can interlock and support each other. The enemy appears to be biological, and Mill believes that they will be vulnerable during the planetary-atmospheric entry, the lieutenant said. I'll also be sending out four schools of attack defense fishboys and their coral stations, Try to find good locations for them to stage combat actions from. Yes, sir, I'll scout out the areas right away, Vuxton answered. Jones out, the lieutenant said, his icon going red. Vuxton just transmitted his icon and started scanning the area. He opened up a channel for his two squads. Command thinks air defense will be priority in the early stages. Reconfigure your shoulder cannons to air defense and point defense. The icons all flashed, letting him know that they'd heard him as he jumped, using assist across the gap to the large downed precursor. He climbed up the side and then walked around the edge, looking around the field of destroyed machines. There were four good points, he registered, all four with command, and went back to where his two squads were still setting up. First Beacurse is now some kind of creature from outer space. Vuxton sighed. All these people wanted was to coexist freely. Why was that so hard? I have unit XXXTCSF seven eight six zero CNG of the line. I am a fully operational, super heavy main battle tank of the Terran Confederacy Space Force, designed to protect humanity and its allies. While the Dinochrome Brigade may be defeated, it has never been beaten. For the honor of the regiment, I will carry out my duty." The words echoed in my mind as I moved from maintenance mode to full awareness. In the last battle against the precursor enemy, I was gravely damaged in combat when a precursor machine computed that the best course of action was to land its 12-mile across bulk upon me. I had been unable to fight my way free but sustained serious damage. I ran diagnostics taking one point five seconds to fully receive and analyze all the data. My two hundred and fifty millimeter halbore has been improved by a factor of one point four two three percent. A modification I can tell was performed by a manted engineer cost workers repairing my systems. Well, they are once the enemy. They are now valued members of the Confederacy, and I appreciate their work on my behalf. My infinite repeaters are ready. The kinetic ones fully loaded. The energy ones ready to engage the enemy. My mortar tubes are calibrated with magazines fully loaded. My vertical launch missile systems are at 100%. My point defenses and air defense systems are fully interlocked with my sensors and targeting systems. My apers have been increased by 120% and I have additional sensors and computing power dedicated to close range point defense. My armor is at 100% and additional ablative armor and reactive armor added. My treads are in excellent condition, with the near-perfect tension. More evidence of an engineer cast-manted work, as even maintenance stepper machines usually only manage to reach 97% tension. I am ready for battle. All I need now is my commander. It is less than 0.25 seconds after that thought that I feel the presence of a human mind unfolding next to me. Reaching out to me, my commander is in the command couch, locked in and strapped down, the cybernetic linkage fully plugged into the brainstem. Morning, Carnage. How are you feeling? The human commander, one Captain Gouge, asked me. I'm in optimal levels, I tell him. I feel laser pulses through my memory as the battle reflex system comes fully online. Let's wake you up a bit, old boy, Captain Gouge says. My mind expands as I take in the entire situation. Unknown enemies have entered the system, heading straight for the planets within the green zone. The major biological entities have deployed parasite drone units of unknown type, while the larger one had slowed down, changing its ETA to 11 days. Some of the smaller units, barely detectable by scanners of dedicated observation vessels, will still be coming in at high speeds on an angle to take them into the re-entry course within hours. I request permission from my commander, the gestalt between the two of us not quite complete, in milliseconds lag, absorbing the situational data and full linkage." He grants it, and I use hyperpulse millimetric wave scanners to examine the inverted cone between the largest biological structure and the planet. Hundreds of smaller biological entities, barely detectable by my scanners, were sleeting towards the planet. I share my information across the brigade's tactical data net and receive information in return. Unit JWS, a.k.a. Jaws, has been fully awake for the entire time and updates all of us on even more information. The Space Force Navy would be engaging on the oncoming objects in the next 20 minutes. Jaws, our brigade commander, has already computed the most effective pattern for us to perform air defenses with mid-orbital support. My commander, fully integrated with me, glances at the pattern and agrees. It seems odd to me. We are going to be stationed seems 4% suboptimal to me, but my commander sees it as perfectly optimal. The gestalt is complete, and I am now Gage Carnage. I can now see around me. I'm in the maintenance depot, scaffolding having pulled away. The door is fully open, locking into place with a boom. The light goes out from amber to green, signaling that I'm allowed to move out from the maintenance depot and to carry out my mission. I engage my drive systems and my commander and I move out into the early morning darkness. The ground rumbles as 25,000 tons of war steel and durochrome rumbled out on the hardened underground maintenance shelter. The bolos were on the move. Katofen 773C24 opened his eyes, blinking for a moment to let his mind catch up with his body. He was clad in pressurized flight suit, his visor closed, liquid atmosphere moving through the tube implanted in his chest. He could feel that his body was unfinished, mostly existing as a life support system for his brain, but he also knew that it didn't matter. He tabbed ready and waited, closing his eyes and sinking into the craft systems. He had 60 high-speed data drones, 50 slower wide-scanning drones, 8-gun drones, 12 missile pods, and 20 blanks with mission-configurable systems. His main pod was ready and had five hours of life support. He double-checked his quantum link and nodded mentally when it glowed green. He'd had to come into battle with a red dot suds before. He didn't like it, but needs must. The light When green and Ricky kicked the massive, almond-shaped craft's launch pedal. The carrier's magnetic launch system fired him out silently. No traces, and he waited till he was nearly a hundred miles before hitting the string drive, going full stealth. The cloud as small as signals, that would be the first thing he passed through. He'd gather as much data as he flew through. His real goal was a second wave of signals, the ones showing signs of using reactionless drive systems to slow down so their planetary interception would be delayed he kept his acceleration low as to not make any gravity impressions or show any energy signatures trusting in his stealth systems as he sped towards the incoming boat traces the pods were silent the scanning and combat vi's asleep in their hash cradles in less than an hour, he was picked up data. The moats were only a few hundred meters wide, hard shells that were a form of biological ablative armor. The insides were either tightly packed powder or liquid in some form, with the inner shell having vents. Atmosphere, attack spheres. He could feel the clicking of the quantum computer under his tongue, a phantom sensation unique to his genetic lineage, a minor thing that did not need correction but had been logged with the clone world's genomic authority. He kept the signal-to-noise ratio down, cutting off even most of the internal systems as he swept through the cloud, his angle of approach designed to keep him from intersecting any closer than a full kilometer away from the moats. He swept into the space again and ran a check on the surface to ensure that he had not picked up any guests. His hull was clean. His external hatches were all still sealed. The next wave was inside a plate of spheres of liquid layer biological shock dampeners. He checked the readouts. Whatever was inside was soft, spongy sphere inside the object would be able to survive a 15G shock without feeling much more than a 0.04G shock. Landing troops. He swept on, activating his string drive to clear through the empty space. He kept the speed down to avoid any temporal ripples. Nothing would show him quicker to an enemy than a fourth-dimensional scanners by moving fast enough to leave a wake trail in the temporal foam. The next layer he was able to detect was subspace drives, STL drives that did not respond on reaction mass. The sine wave was strange, different than what was loaded in his EEPROM database. It was time. Ricky opened his eyes, not to look at the blank featureless inside of his pod, but instead to deploy his scanners. While sensor nets deployed from this pod, Hatches opened in a hull and his drone-controlled pod, letting his parasite pods eject free and spin up their systems. His drones spread out around him. The V.I.s waking up and stretching, mumbling at first, then gibbering at one another. The gun boys and the other war boys were excited at the target-rich environment. He was already getting returns. Some of them were looked like wasps' nests with turborous and cancerous growths on them. Others looked like ovoid lumps of cancerous tissue. All of them had red and lime green phosphorus lighting up. Ricky could feel the lumps reaching out towards him, radar, lidar, and other systems scanning him. Ricky knew that he wouldn't appear as human. Humans had legs and arms, rib cages, and spines. He was a blob of organs, veins, nerves, and minimal supporting tissue. Ricky knew how this would go. Part of him thrilled to what was going to happen. The eight nearest wasp nests suddenly disgorged what looked like insects. The solar sails looked like wings at the crest, and they were lit up with the red light from bioluminescence. They had grasping claws and large jaws, with what looked like tubers on the backs and underneath them. Ricky disgorged the missiles at them. They immediately vomited red liquid and slowed, the liquid expanding out in a five-mile disk in front of them within 1.2 seconds. Ricky scanned his own missiles as they plunged through the disk, immediately started melting, now fast enough to stop them from orienting and detonating, slashing at the insects with X-ray lasers, particle beams, and graviton hammers. The wasps used their wings to intercept as many of the lasers as they could, the energy draining into them and making the red light grow brighter. The particle beams were absorbed even when they hit the skin. The Graviton hammers blew large chunks out of them, shattering the insects into tumbling parts. Ricky targeted four of the insects with nothing but X-ray laser missiles with maximum output. Ten for one, twenty for another, thirty for the third, and forty for the last, using up two missile pods worth of ammo, ordering the pods to reconfigure for kinetic attack. The twenty-second hit something and the wasp gave out and it exploded but not before the X-ray lasers tore massive holes in its wings. The two pods of kinetic attacks blew apart the two insects that they targeted. Ricky was taking return attacks now, his senses running hard, one of the cancerous tubers rupturing to reveal an ocklet of six-winged creatures with two heads and massive jaws dripping with plasma. Their attacks were mainly vomited up blobs of glowing liquid. Ricky hit them with dead missiles to get the rate of decay and materials making up the missiles. Before they could deplete his parasite pods or do much more than cosmetic damage to his primary control pod, he was through their ranks. There had been hundreds of thousands of them, maybe millions. The next rank was coming up. Massive creatures, most of them unrolling tentacles. He had a third of his sensor pods left with a handful of weapon pods. He reconfigured them for graviton hammer attacks and oriented his command pod on the largest one. It looked like a snail that had grown poorly with writhing tentacles and cassidia. He didn't care about the missile's actual damage. He was testing the structural integrity of the armor. The blast patterns and how it cracked the spalling pattern. Ricky had two sensor pods that had ran out of ammo. There was one last check. Ricky loved this part. He reached out his tailbone nerves and pressed the button. The massive C-plus cannon bolt into the pod fired. Ricky himself inverted, exploding outwards in a shower of neutrons, electrons, protons broken apart by atomic bombs. The last two sensor pods watched as the C-plus slug hit one of the larger of the third ring dead center, blowing through it, the entire front side liquefying and pooling inwards The inside spraying out As the back of the kinetic shockwave Slammed through it Two others moved in Reaching out Both grabbing it and tearing it to pieces The sensor pods were almost out of reactor mass They reconfigured And fired themselves through the two Cannibalizing their companion Richtofen 773C24 Opened his eyes Blinking for a moment And let his mind catch up to his body He had been a good runner Full of data Time to get close in when the fourth rung and beyond. In the next six hours, he knew he'd been reskinned into a fighter craft, and he'd have the data that he'd gathered and made his close attacks runs. The corners of his lipless, unfinished mouth twitched into a smile. Clone war life! Brentleck looked up from her data pad. One hundred percent of Talcon non-combatants are in shelters, she said. Not all, Colonel Harvey said. 100% of non-essential, non-combat personnel are in shelters, Rentelech corrected, staring up at the human with wide-eyed defiant pose of the little people. And if I order that warborg to pick you up and carry you to the master shelter, Harvey said, I'll bite him, Rentelech warned. To his credit, the eight-ton war-steel full-conversion cyborg did not snicker. Just for clarification, Director Brentleck, when I enter the shelter, do you intend to? The colonel asked. Why would you enter the shelter? Brentleck asked. Are you not in the Space Force Army? Are you not needed on the battlefield? Colonel Harvey shook his head. My dear Director Brentleck, I would like nothing more than to grab a rifle, jump in a suit of robotic power armor, and go out bravely to defend our little slice of heaven. But when I attained this rank and was assigned to this post, I lost that privilege. When ground combat begins or the enemy attains their superiority, I'll enter the shelter as I am no longer a part of the kinetic combat variable. Brentlek frowned, thinking of her husband wrapped in Terran designed power armor out there while the Terran military officer was talking about retreating to the bunker like a Lannecked Lan. Then what is your job? To coordinate military response when you alert me that there are shelters in danger. To coordinate defense of 12 million Talcan people and their allies in my area of operations. While I spent my youth striding across planets in robotic power armor, capable of wading through a skyscraper, my own ambition for rank has proved my martial undoing, the colonel said. With my rank comes responsibility, which will be assisting that men like your husband get proper orders, that intelligence and command receives constant updates on the status of our area of operations. He turned and looked at her, and Brentlick had to resist the urge to duck under the desk in fire in his eyes that seemed to her to be brighter than the amber lights of the warborg's eyes. Do I want to enter the shelter, Director Brentlick? No. I want to get in a set of Novostar power armor or paciferum class robot power arm and take the fight to the enemy, first to face... Instead, I will be, by the digital omni and his 12 biological disciples, do my duty and enter the shelter to facilitate command and control with the best data that I can in order to ensure that men like your husband do not have their lives thrown away, and that every brood carrier and partling in the shelters is defended to the best ability of the Terran Confederate Space Force. The colonel said, Brentleck nodded, swallowing thickly. No offense, Colonel Harvey. The fire in the human's eyes dimmed. I know you didn't, kid. He moved over to the table, staring down at it. The Ostkaran River Power Generation Station handles the power needs for six shelters, but I believe that we should move power armor power calls to the reactor bays of those shelters to act as backup and cut the links to the dam. That will result in them having less power, Brentleck stated. The colonel looked at the clock. We have two hours before the first wave arrives. He looked back at the map. I am going to order the engineers to collapse all tunnels and pipes in or out of the shelters and order security to go incursion imminent in all shelters. Brentilek nodded. Before the precursor attack, she would have protested, worrying about the brood carriers. Now she knew it was better the brew carriers be concerned and possibly stressed than slaughtered in mass. I agree, she stated. Manted Free Worlds. Well, we've officially withdrawn our diplomatic envoys to the Unified Civilized Councils. Nothing follows. Janad Hive Worlds. Good! Frick those cone-stealing ambulatory lamb burgers. Nothing follows. Clone Worlds Directorate. Wow. Really, nothing follows. Trianaad Hive Worlds. What? Nothing follows. Clone Worlds direct route. Nothing. Never mind. Nothing follows. Talstleg Necklace safe warm safe warm safe warm sing now bottling sing now with brood mommy one and one is two and two is four and three and six is six and circle, neat triangle bunny square this is blue and this is green and this is yellow and this is yummy and this is not. And this is icky. And this is yum. And this good podling sing, podling learn. Podling smart. Podling brave. Podling safe. Warm. Safe. Warm. Swell off Gleninton. Tranard high worlds. Hey. I thought the brew carriers don't have data links. How come we keep hearing them singing? Nothing follows. Talk and Gestalt. Sorry about that. Nothing follows. Clone Worlds Directorate No, 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 it's okay Just interesting Nothing follows Cybernetic Organism Collective It's a feedback We have examined it We have determined that there is some kind of feedback going on One of us is broadcasting talcum species, sex threes, members, songs into the stult chat unintentionally. We are attempting to determine who is providing this feedback and why so as to clear any static unintentional broadcasts into chat during externally critical time period. Nothing follows. Trinad Highworlds. Anyone understand any of that? Nothing follows. Biological Artificial Sentient Systems. Robot people, fix chat. Nothing follows. Trying to add High worlds. Thanks. Nothing follows. Rogalian Compact. The interesting thing will be if these guys follow the Lanarkt Land protocol of retreating after 10% resource consumption. If so, it's another data point that suggests Lanarkt Land are behind this. Nothing follows. Clone World Directorate. I hate to say this, but with a biologically based enemy like this, I'm going to have to call it a vote later. Nothing follows. Digital Artificial Sentient Systems. A vote. For what? Nothing follows. Clone Worlds Directorate. Moving a genome cracker fleet out there. We're going to need all the data we can get. Nothing follows. Biological Artificial Sentient Systems. Yeah, we're going to need the data. We'll join you with a biomass fleet. Nothing follows. Manted Free Worlds. Are you too crazy? Nothing follows. Tranad Highvelds. Ah, uh, that makes me really nervous just thinking about it. Nothing follows. Akilgaka stalt Hello. Nothing follows. Tranad Highvelds. Ah, holy crap, you scanned me. Nothing follows. Digital, artificial, sentient systems. I don't know about letting you move the genome cracker feet out there. I mean, um. Terran Confederacy Clone Worlds Directorate Suggestion Approved Biological Artificial sentient System Suggestion Approved Prepare for immediate deployment to Warzone Alpha Trinidad High Worlds Ugh, Are you guys trying to give me a heart attack across all three hearts? Nothing follows stilt, Hello Nothing pharaohs Manted Free Worlds Hello little one, welcome you guys be quiet. Let me help her get to her feet under her. Nothing follows. I'll clack this dull TV cops en root. It, 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 it will be done. 3 TA 102 hours. and message. Mandate Free Worlds. Oh dear. Come here, sweetie. End of chapter. And that, my friends, concludes this dose of science fiction fun. I hope